G'day, it's Russell Howcroft here. I'm the Chief Creative Officer of the Sayers Group and a founding partner. At Sayers, we believe all business, all good business, starts with a fantastic conversation. So we thought, well, let's create a podcast and let's call it Conversations. We hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to another Sayers Conversation. This is Freddie. Um, Freddie, we're racking them up, aren't we? We're really starting to get some, well, a serious library of fantastic podcasts. Today, we are going to speak to Alan, Alan Oppenheim. Alan is the Managing Director of Ego, Ego Pharmaceuticals, which maybe is a business that we all haven't heard of, but the brands we most definitely have. You're, you're very welcome here, Alan. Thanks, Russell. Good man. Now, if you haven't listened to a sales podcast, you, you may not be aware that what we like to do is I like to ask Freddie to play you some sounds. And the purpose of the sounds is you and I are going to have a conversation but what I, want, what I want you to do is imagine that you are in a great conversational space. Not that this actually isn't. It's a pretty good conversational space. But I want you just to sit back, listen to a few sounds, and then come back and tell me which one appeals to you most. Here's the first. Thanks, Freddie. Okay, Alan, what did we have there? We had fire, a buy a fireplace. Um, we had probably beach. Water. Water, yeah. yeah. And then a pub, I'd call that a pub or a cafe. Um, it was windy, the other one. <laughs> so out on a, yeah. maybe out on a sailing boat. Yes. And then all walking through the forest. Um, so great places to have a chat. Which, which one appeals to you the most? I, I love the flowing water. A whole, okay. whole lot of things. And not because of the relaxing, yeah. um, a whole lot of things. It, it, lots of activity. Water is the basis of life, of humanity, of many of our products. Yeah. And the purity of water is really important. Fantastic. Righto. Let's go there. So we are by water. Maybe we're by a running stream. Yep. Um, we might even be fishing. Why, why not? Let's, um, have you ever been fly fishing? No. Would you like to go fly fishing? Maybe. <laughs> I, I love the nature. I love the sound of the birds. I love talking to magpies when we yeah. do our walks. It's yeah. just uh, glorious. Do, yeah. you, do you agree with me that men, when they talk to each other, they're probably better off being side by side than face to face? It's not something I've thought about. Well, you yeah. know, uh, no, I'm serious about yeah. this. I think that you know, when you walk down a golf course, you're side by side. Yep. Or when you're... You've got a fishing line over a boat's edge, then you're side by side. Or indeed, if you're um, by a river, you're likely to be side by side. Just a theory I've got. It, it is, but then I think of uh, all the early morning cyclists in packs of, of people and right. sometimes have to be uh, one in front of another depending they're on how wild. to each other's backside. Yes. <laughs> or, or side by side, but they're unlikely to be face to face. Yes. Right. So maybe face to face in the coffee shop after uh, they do, and they do love that, don't they? Yes. Okay, let's get on to this. So your, so your business, family business, seventy years, uh, seventy years. I think this year is that yeah. correct? Yep. Okay. So um, as I said to you before we started, you know, press record. I love family stories, family business stories, and I just adore them. So let's start at the start. Tell us about you know seventy years ago. Yeah. So nineteen fifty three. Uh, my father um, saw a need for products for skincare. My grandfather was a dermatologist. 
So we go right back before ego. My grandparents and my father emigrated from Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. arriving here six months before World War II started. Good. And all through the war, my dad and his parents had to report to the police station every week, and he got to know the police sergeant. Yeah. Uh, eventually, 1953, uh, my dad started ego, making products, formulating products for patients of his father, a dermatologist. Mm-hmm. My grandfather started his practice here again having to learn English and everything else, and became a thriving practice. Uh, but he needed products, and so my father formulated them and would sell them through his father to his his patients. Yep. But then all of a sudden it was like, well, okay, how do I market this? And marketing didn't really exist as a word, as a profession um, in the early 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum ended up joining the business. She ended up becoming the marketing department and communicating the benefits of products and science and, and skin advice to pharmacy assistants and dermatologists across Australia. She was the first woman salesperson or detailer yes. to dermatologists in Australia. So the notion of um, people being, I'm going to say in their back garden, but you know, people being in pharmacies or, or indeed around the kitchen table sort of creating a lotion, creating a formula, that was something that wasn't unusual, um, you know, let's say 100 years ago, but sometimes some people just crack it. So was, was it about your family actually genuinely cracking a formula? Yes, it was. Um, so 1953, there were very few products for the skin. Ah. So if you had athlete's foot, there was one product, but you, it, it wasn't very effective. It was really messy and would tend to sting. And that's athlete's foot. Other, other skin rashes are more of a problem. Yeah. Uh, and everyone just used soap on skin rashes, and soap's great, cheap old technology yeah, but, but not gr- great for a rash. really bad for rashes <laughs> and actually really bad for maintaining your, your skin yeah and there was no real sunscreens and more so my grandfather said i need a product like this i need a product like this right. and my father would formulate my father had science degree so put it together for the need for the patients of the of my grandfather okay um and then it snowballed so they they made the first alternative to soap in australia and am i right in um thinking or hearing that that was done in the bath in the laundry, um, it wasn't really done in the bath, but laundries had big tubs and, you know, where else would you do it? It was yeah. done in the home before I was born. Yeah. Um, and uh, then when my mum was pregnant with me, she said, I think the business needs to move out of the home. Uh-huh. Um, and so my dad rented a place around the corner and then ended up, ended up buying that and expanding it and buying the, the shop two doors down. Yeah. Uh, it was growth um, at a slow rate and really hard in the beginning. And tell me, what was the first? So you you had the first formulation, but what did it did it have a name? Yeah, that product, the original name, Ego Pine Tar Bath Solution, <laughs> which these days is called Pintasol Solution. Pintasol, magnificent. Yeah. So if you had chicken pox or your kids did, yes. they would have been bathed in this thing that was green. I think I remember that as a kid. Yes. Right, yeah. and uh, in fact, I can smell it. Yes, yes. We should be in a forest right now, not, <laughs> yeah. not beside water. So I often think that you know, being in the body business is really smart, as in the exterior body business, probably the interior body business is smart as well, because there's lots of segmentation opportunities um, in that you, know, you can have something that is you know, specific for a crack or specific for a hand or a foot or even behind the ear. Was this, some, was this something which your business got onto early or as in you can segment and therefore grow or, or not it, it, it's not so much about segmenting the body by part but it is segmenting dermatology by condition right uh, and what you're trying to do so is it athlete's foot is it between 
dare I say, the athlete's foot between the big toes? Yes. Um, or is it is it a more cosmetic thing? Is it body odorant, deodorants? And a lot of our products are for sensitive skin. So yeah. kids with um, atopic eczema, which is, can be a chronic disease, mm-hmm. for them, they're super irrita- irritated by anything. Yeah. Uh, and so it's about making products safe for them, and that's kind of the core. I wanted to get on to eczema yeah. um, a, b- a bit later on, but you just said the word, so let's do it now. Yep. Eczema, uh, it does seem to be... A growing issue? Um, is that fair? Uh, it may be growing a little bit more because... I haven't got the, the, the numbers in front of me, but maybe because as people become more middle class and a little bit more wealthy, it's not about quantity of life. Eczema is about quality of life. And, and eczema for a child can be really yeah. chronic and severe. Yeah. And not only so chronic for that child, but chronic for the whole family. Yeah. Uh, the, the example I, I can give is from the Kowloon Hospital. I visited the paediatric dermatologist there, a lovely guy, and he was explaining a kid in school whose teacher rang the mother and said, your child is upsetting my class, constantly upsetting the class because she is constantly scratching. Gosh. What are you, the mother, going to do about your child, your yeah. problem child? Yeah. And it's like huge opportunity for education. Yeah. Uh, but it's weird. We... If a child has leukaemia or a broken arm or a broken leg, we think of them as a hero and we go rally around them and give them all the support we can. If it's a chronic skin disease, for some weird reason, humanity puts it down and adds stress to it. Yeah. And stress makes extra worse. Oh, goodness me. Let's get back to business. Yes. Okay, so we've gone from uh, the laundry. Uh, you, you're, you are either born or about to be born. We've gone yep. from the laundry and we've got ourselves around the corner. Yep. So, to, so and you say... Sl- Growth was slow. It was slow till mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And then my dad started putting sales reps into pharmacy. Uh. Uh, and the moment he started communicating uh, with pharmacists by training them and educating them, uh, sales really started to grow. Pharmacies are an amazing route to market, yeah? A great route to market, but particularly really good place to get advice. Yeah. So you yes. go to pharmacy and you, you, you have advice... But it doesn't actually cost you anything. Yes, and and there's also one in every town. I mean, one yes. in every uh, one on every high street, one in every. It's odd to say village. I'll say it though, in one in every village, every country yes. town, every high street. So the you know the distribution opportunity, I suppose, is where I'm going, um, is profound. Yes, five and a half thousand pharmacies, and by law they're spread right across the geography. Right, so that's really astute. Now, so with the sales force. Just Victoria or just Melbourne? or at, at, So tell us more about the business. So the Salesforce started Melbourne. Uh, my dad had an agent in Sydney. I flipped that to two reps in Sydney. Um, and then he decided to start a newsletter because he had to keep the two reps in Sydney, you know, in, in the loop. So, of course, that newsletter was mailed. It was a one-pager. Yeah. Um, and we continue that today. Uh, it's just not mailed, it's emailed, and it's a whole lot longer than a one-pager because we've got lots of staff all over the world. Okay, so tell us about that then. So let's, let's fast forward to staff numbers. And, you know, give us whatever data you can. Okay, today we're over 700 staff. <laughs> that includes 200 staff outside Australia Good. in Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, uh, across the Middle East, which is our largest market, so Saudi, Kuwait, six countries in the Middle East and UAE, and then 31 staff across the UK. Great. It's okay. huge. It's huge, and it's still a 100% family-owned business. Yes. 
Uh, and has there been? There must be people wanting to change that. Uh, <laughs> yes, quite quite a few. Um, <laughs> think of most of the multinational companies, you know, right. pharmaceuticals, and and yeah. then middlemen and more. And and um, you know, I get all sorts of different uh, d- different things um, coming coming my way. And uh, that must be tempting because you know the I, I imagine one of the issues with successful family businesses is at some point in time families well families grow and therefore there are more you know more mouths to feed to put it crassly yeah th- there's that issue but our uh, Jane and, and my wife and my scientific operations director and I our view is we're really wanting to build and grow this amazing thing called ego and to continue it living the values of ego so those values came out of the family heritage and my dad never wrote the values down. He was quite different to me. He was just the guy who just got things going. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up having to write the values and we're just going through a third tiny iteration of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and living those values and maintaining that amazing culture, which is ego, which is hard to describe on a podcast. Of course. We need to take you for a tour through ego and it gives you a better flavour. Yeah. Um, trying to maintain that and grow manufacturing in Australia for the world and provide really good quality jobs in Australia and outside the world. Yeah. 200 staff outside Australia, they're in sales and marketing and education, but they've got great jobs as well, and we try to nurture that culture. It's one of, it's interesting for me, um, so products like, well, the, the products that you produce, um, so Australian yes. production, manufacturing, yes, that's incredible. Do you feel like the world is coming in your direction? Uh, so where am I going with that? Nearshoring, onshoring, becoming uh, more on-trend post-pandemic than it was pre-pandemic. Yes. So an example of that is we are investing in a, a small startup uh, by one of our ex-staff, and that's about onshoring one of the key raw materials uh, for Australia. Yes, for us first, and then it'll be for Australia. So is everything coming on shore? No, and that would be nuts. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we do live in a world of, of global connectedness, and that got hugely challenged by the pandemic. Our, our purchasing team last year had the hardest year they've ever had trying to resource lots of different things. And it's not just buying a commodity, it's buying a, a, a raw material that meets our quality specs. Right. So that's, that's really tough. Shipping, for example, has been a nightmare and continues to be problematic. It's better this year. A lot of things have come through the other end. Not everything is fixed, though. So onshoring makes sense selectively. One of the things I've noticed about family businesses, in particular family consumer goods businesses, um, they're incredibly good at distribution. They're very good at, get, at being price competitive. Um, they're fabulous at building culture within their sales force. They're not so good when it comes to spending money on advertising. How do you go on that one? Uh, we, we, from a man from the advertising <laughs> industry, um, we are constantly trying to increase the spend on advertising. We do spend significantly on <laughs> advertising. And, of course, as you know, the, the listeners too, the, the, the advertising world has changed completely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it used to be print, radio and TV, and they were the three maybe a few billboards, yeah. and that was that. Yep. And not even those terms are used anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's hugely changed. Yes, and, and so you're spending money in um, social media, I assume, digital digital platforms, uh, in order to grow brands. Yes. Uh, and so um, give us a bit of a, f- a sense for your brands. What the brands are? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the biggest brand that I- almost every one of your listeners will have in the bathroom is our QV range. So yes. we have QV moisturisers and cleansers. And the origins of that 
came from the Queen Victoria Hospital. So the head dermatologist at the Queen Victoria Hospital for Women and Children in Melbourne asked my dad to make a special bath oil just for his patients. My dad did it and they were on the typewriter, not the IBM, the Olivetti manual typewriter. What are we going to call this? And, oh, QB bath oil and away it went. Fantastic. Um, So that's now a huge range of products and we keep adding and adding to that. And sold all around the world, 20 countries. We've also got Aquium hand sanitizer, which was rather <laughs> rather well used well through, through the pandemic. And Ka-ching. More. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but that became a really great difficulty, getting all the raw materials. Very um, good. What else? Yes. Uh, we have Resolve and Solveasy uh, antifungal products, the Pintosol for anti-itch. Yep. We have Move for head lice, which is the first... First headlights product with a full clinical trial behind it. Oh wow! And um, so, you know, I was going to say the mothers, but you know, the 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 parents out there must be thrilled um, to have something that it works. I assume move. It works. So when we <laughs> when we did the first clinical trial and we compared it to the two market leaders at the time, the market leaders their efficacy was around thirty percent, and ours is eighty five. So you know. It, our staff, when we said we're going to do move head lice, there was a lot of, oh, thank goodness, because it always comes back. But it actually didn't always come back. I think the products just weren't very effective at the time. You know what they say about snake catchers, what they do? They plant snakes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you make sure that there is some, you know, there's some lice some out there in, in, the pre- in the primary schools? <laughs> no, no, unfortunately <laughs> we don't. And, of course, through COVID, there was no people, no, none of the kids went to primary school or kinder. Uh. And so head lice market vanished and now all of a sudden the headlines market is back and it's un- quite unpredictable as it comes and goes through a whole range of, and gum- its ups and, lot- and downs are quite high. I just love the thought that your head lice sales went down as your hand sanitizer sales went <laughs> up. So what was it a net up? Uh, yeah, no, it, it's all sorts of things. So no, the, 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 the head lice, the hand sanitizer market right now yeah. is lower than it was pre-COVID. And I think that's because everyone's got some form of hand sanitizer somewhere, everywhere, yeah. and there have been so many really poor quality hand sanitizers <laughs> that people just don't want to go near them anymore. Well, well, exactly. I think maybe people got a bit sick of it, which is probably not a good thing. Sunscreen business, though. Yes. Yeah. So that's a cracking business, I would imagine. It is very, very competitive and very tough. Okay. Why? So the to make a really good quality uh, sunscreen, you need good level of the active ingredients and they're all expensive you then need a good level of excipients the background ingredients that help make that sunscreen produce a really fine uniform film over the hills and valleys that we call the skin skin actually goes up and down so all those extra ingredients in the product are also expensive to make a good quality product okay and then these are all therapeutic, so you need stability testing, you need registration, labelling to meet the TGA rules. Mm-hmm. And then the science, which is quite exciting, is changing um, throughout. Right. So these days what we do is we actually get the SPF tested not just with one laboratory, we now go to two laboratories because there's quite a variation between laboratories. So we go to two independent laboratories to check that SPF before we sell the product. I tell you, one of the things that worries me about sunscreen so the whole notion of a, a, a lotion is that it gets into your skin. No. So the, if, if a, a sunscreen gets into your skin, you're not going to get the protection. The aim of the sunscreen, think of a sunscreen or sunglasses, yeah. 
is to provide that filter on the top of your skin. Okay. So well stick to the skins, but it has to go up the, the hills and valleys of your skin because you get all sorts of little cracks uniformly. But There's no point just filling the cracks because then the bits that stick at the top will burn. But some, some things that you make are designed to get into the skin. Correct. Right. So we make Dermaid hydrocortisone cream. I, I formulated that a long time ago with my team. And that's about hydrocortisone that has to get through the layers of the skin, and the skin's not designed for that. Right. And work on the blood vessels right down the bottom so of the skin. you can see where I was going with this concern. Yes. So our, our job is to make the formula, make the active ingredients do what we're trying to do. Okay. And, so, and you are regulated? Yes. Are you heavily regulated? Yes, TGA. We all learned about TGA through the pandemic. I think most of the most of Australia didn't know who TGA was until the pandemic hit. Okay, so seven hundred people yep. are working for a family business. Yes. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. That, that is an extraordinary success. So when you reflect on, I, as I said at the start, I, I, I love the idea of learning. Learning. Okay, I I love the idea of sitting on top of a family business that employs seven hundred people. I don't. What have I done wrong? Although, let's put it another way. What have you done right? I think 700 people and all their predecessors have helped enable the team do a lot of things right. Um, so we listen to our people. It's, it's about uh, listening and working and respecting uh, the people. It's about hiring really good people. It's about investing for the long term. A lot of our decisions are enabled by being a family business to look long term. We don't care about stock exchange results for this quarter or next quarter or next year. We, we care about making sure that this business is strong for the next 70 years and the one after that. Uh, and that's what the team is, is looking for. So we're happy to delay a decision, but then when we build, buy a new piece of equipment or a new pair of piece of software or a new building or a new piece of land, um, we want to get the best and then we look after it for the long term. Fabulous. So one of the criticisms of... Um, let's, let's talk about Melbourne... It's actually an Australian issue, but I know specifically Melbourne. We're not that good at getting from university ideas from uni onto, let's call it, the shelf. Yep. Have you, have you, have you got a method that helps that pathway? Uh, we, we haven't. We have had some ideas that have come from outside which are brought in, and we, we take ideas from everywhere, from scientific conferences we attend, scientific journals which we keep up with, listen to dermatologists and pharmacists across the world, and it might be an idea from a dermatology conference in Glasgow that someone attends, combined with a, a scientific article, combined with a raw material that one of the raw material suppliers has passed on, and you do a really creative combination that makes for a great product. Mm -hmm. We are also aware that we're not a multinational pharmaceutical so we, company, so we don't have the resources to create a new chemical entity, a new active pharmaceutical but we work with the existing pharmaceuticals and all the other ingredients around that to make better products, to make them work. And the hydrocortisone dissolved is an example. The sunscreens is another example. And, and so, Alan, innovation, innovation in our market. Um, so this is a broader question. So are you seeing um, greater innovation and are you seeing us getting better at getting innovation into the marketplace? I think Melbourne and Australia is much better at doing that today than when I left university. You know, I, I'm really lucky that I sit on a particular committee at Monash University. Uh, they asked me to be there to try to give a little bit of advice and I feel humbled by what they're doing and the people around the table. And what Monash University is doing, for example, is phenomenal. Monash has signed up Moderna 
and BioNTech mm-hmm. to build manufacturing plants that will manufacture mRNA product in Melbourne at Monash. The only city in the world to have the two mRNA uh, uh, factories that are companies that made our, our COVID vaccines, yeah. which is just amazing. Monash has got a whole infrastructure to create and nurture startups at that university, and they have targets to, to build that. And, and I'm Monash is one I know, so I'm really proud to to see what they're doing. They really are a global university. They see themselves as global yeah. with their campuses all around the world, 90,000 students. And I think top 50 now, Monash. Yes. Melbourne most definitely is, and I think Monash one or two behind, yeah? And in our industry, the Monash Pharmacy School mm-hmm. at Parkville, it has been in the top three for many, many years, like a decade. Last year, it was ranked number one pharmacy school in the world, better than Harvard. Incredible. Which leads us to say, how come we don't know about these things? Yeah? Exactly. We're not great, but we're not great at selling our success. I think that it's I a agree. sweeping statement. But yeah. so, what do, what do we do about that? Do we need to bring back towards two thousand or beyond two thousand a similar sort of program? Mm-hmm. Um, ABC would do. Do that really well. You could have really fun as yeah. a as a someone communicating in plain language some of the science. Yes, I, I think when, as I said at the beginning, I don't think we're good at communicating success of business and what business does for the community. Yeah, we're good at saying that business has done something wrong, but we're not good at at saying it's done some really good things despite doing something right, and we're not good at celebrating what our universities do for our community. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because, I mean, I think everyone would agree with you. And and it's one of those things where you reflect on it and think, oh, I wish that wasn't right, but I think it is right. I think it's been the case for a long time. Yeah. I think we celebrate a little bit more now than we used to. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the, the press, you know, that you know this, the, the media has been under huge pressure to reduce cost and it's all online and free. Yeah. And what tends to sell newspapers, if I can use that old term, mm. is bad news. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, if the if it's actually good news, business celebrates good success. Mm-hmm. It grows again for the 10th year in a row or whatever. Yeah. It's not going to sell a newspaper, mm. which is a bit sad. So how could we celebrate that more? There have been a few business programs. There used to be one with, I think, Narelle Hooper on SBS and there have been some on, on ABC. Um, but we, we need more in some way that's going to connect to the community. We need to find a way, don't we? I agree with you. This is Freddie. Freddie is the producer. And um, I asked Freddie um, during the course of a podcast if he's got a question. Um, so I don't know whether he's got a question or not, but um, Alan, are you happy to take a question from Freddie? I would love a question yeah. from Freddie. Okay, go for it, Freddie. Thank you, Russ, and thank you, Alan. Um, I was just wondering, obviously you were touching upon our schools um, being incredibly well regarded um, internationally. When it comes to skincare as an industry and as us as producers, um, how is Australia viewed by the rest of the world? Um, we're probably not viewed other than um, you know, ego because we're, we're in that space and we're only in skincare. Um, one of the things, you know, I... If I go back in history, I went into the Middle East in 1992, my first trip. And I need to put in perspective what the Middle East was like in 92. There was no Etihad Airlines, no Qatar Airlines. Emirates was like one or two planes, didn't fly to Australia. Different world. They didn't want you in Dubai or the Middle East. Um, and so when I went there, I had to explain what Australia was. No, we didn't have kangaroos in the street. We did have all the pharmaceutical companies manufacturing in Australia. We were a sophisticated country, a whole suite of things. 
before I talked about the pharmaceutical industry and then before I talked about TGA registration, before I talked anything right. about ego. Right. So uh, I don't think Australia has a reputation for dermatology. It has a reputation for quality. It really does have a reputation for quality right across the board. So is there an Australian-owned, I'm looking at you, global sunscreen brand? No. That seems to me to be an opportunity. Yes. Because I'm thinking that the entire world would imagine that we need sunscreen if you live in Australia. We, we do. We are the world's experts at dying of skin cancer, highest rate of skin cancer in the world, despite all the education we have. Okay. Uh, and we work hard to produce better and better quality sunscreens. Each formula we do will change and improve every three years and or the, so. And the formula that you produce um, is considered world's best? It is, and, and uh, okay, so I'm sort of we're warming up here, Freddie. There's an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> there is, but it. I, I go back. The sunscreen market is ruthlessly competitive. Yeah, hugely competitive, and it's hard for retailers because most retailers, like in in Melbourne or, or California, they see it as a summer product, and then they want to shrink it right back in winter. So mm. it's a relaunch every year, yeah. up and down. Okay, so retailers, the Australian retail um, landscape, it can be pretty tough. Um, as much as anything, there's two majors in a, in a retail in a retail sense. So, how, t- tell us about you've lasted seventy years. You, you keep on growing. You're obviously profitable. Otherwise, you know you wouldn't be around. So, how do you manage to do that? If there's an opportunity for you to give some people some tips, that would be really handy. We're a little weird. We don't deal with those two huge um, global players in, right. in retail. We only deal with 5,500 pharmacies. Yep. And, of course, the pharmacy market has changed phenomenally well, in the last I, 20 I years. Well, I reckon there's, a, there's one particular powerhouse. Oh, there's a few. There's, <laughs> there's Chemist Warehouse, which has transformed the market. Yeah. Uh, and they've enabled us to grow hugely, oh, in a very strong partnership. They're demanding, yep. uh, but they grow manufacturers' brands. Good marketers too. They are. Um, and it's a, another family company. I know. <laughs> um, and then you've got Terry White Chemart, which is the, 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 the group that's gone together and, and merged and amalgamated, and that seems to be succeeding well as professional pharmacy, and then Priceline and then some others as well. So that pharmacy market has changed. It used to be dealing with 5,500 CEOs <laughs> yeah, and business owners yes. right across the country, uh, and, and we still kind of do that, but we also have to deal with the head office of each of those groups. Uh, and as a result, you can... We were talking about marketing of your product QV, for example. You, in effect, you're able to... Uh, piggyback maybe is not a great word, but let's use it. You're able to piggyback on their marketing. Yes, so we do joint marketing with, with um, each of those groups um, and then some as well. And we do our own marketing as well and yeah. marketing online and, and more. Do you track spontaneous brand awareness, Alan? We do a lot of healthcare research, <laughs> particularly on our QV brand. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you know off the top of your head what your spontaneous brand awareness would be? I do not have that figure in front of me. Uh, yeah, so if I if we said to the consumers, name... what would Have a guess. What... So we're going to go out there onto the streets now and we say, name a skincare brand that you can buy through pharmacies. What, what number out of 10 do you reckon would say QV? And, and be modest, be modest, because it'll be, it'll be more modest than you want it to be, but be modest. I would have thought 40 to 50% yeah, at least. And I reckon you're right. And, and if, you, if you ask them, do they know the Ego brand? Probably not. No. But uh, and I do this like this these sorts of functions, or I go to a big function and you know I say I work for ego, but if I say QV, almost everyone knows it. Oh, I- I- exactly. So, but that is prompted brand awareness. Yes. yes. So this, the the notion of spontaneous it's fa- yes. it fascinates unprompted. me. Unprompted. 
it, it fascinates me. There's almost there's, there's almost only one number that matters in the world of marketing. Yes. And it's that one right yes. there. And let's say you have got four out of ten. So you've got 40%. That puts you right up there. Yeah. It's a, it is... It is a wonderful success story, 70 years of success. Uh, and Alan and uh, Freddie, do you want to congratulate Alan? Uh, how many people do you want to employ in your family business? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'd be pretty good. Congratulations, Alan. Congratulations. Great, to, great to chat to you. Thank you very much.